Hi, I'm Patrick Gautier here for the National Association of Home Builders, Making It Your Business Project, where we provide education and resources about opioid addiction to home builders, owners, supervisors, and managers. People who work in construction are significantly more likely to become addicted to opioids, like prescription painkillers, than our workers in the general population and they're six times more likely to die as a result of overdose. The impact on a business can be significant and includes loss of productivity, healthcare expenses, absenteeism, turnover, and much more. That's why NAHB and its partners, Jobsite Safety Institute and Advocates for Human Potential, are taking an innovative and holistic approach to addressing opioid use and misuse, creating solutions and educational resources that address intervention points across the spectrum of prevention, treatment, recovery, and return to work. In this podcast, we'll be talking about what supervisors need to know as it relates to important legal and ethical questions regarding workers who are in recovery from opioid addiction. I'm excited to welcome today's guest, Jeff Fagan, who is an employment lawyer in the Baltimore area and a member of the Howard County, Maryland Opioid Crisis Community Council. Jeff is joining us today by phone. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. Hi, Patrick, and um, I appreciate you and NAHB inviting me to uh, to speak on this important topic. You know, I, I believe it's an important issue uh, and one that has generated a high level of interest from for many of my clients, and it and it sort of uh, brings together. Uh, practical business issues, uh, legal issues, and risk management issues that uh, that I know we're going to talk about today. Wonderful. Jeff, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself, how you became interested and uh, became an expert in compliance and legal issues pertaining to the opioid uh, addiction, the opioid epidemic, and certainly as it relates to the workplace? Sure, Patrick. I, I've been practicing labor and employment law for, for 26 years, and my clients often come to me for both legal and practical advice. And in the current climate, um, which unfortunately includes uh, opioid addiction, um, opioid prescriptions and overprescriptions, um, medical marijuana, as well as legal marijuana. More and more of my clients have questions surrounding uh, onboarding of employees, retention of employees, uh, risk management issues surrounding uh, employment and, and labor issues, and then leave issues related to, uh, to drug use. So, you know, it, it, is, it is something that I've had um, uh, almost been required to uh, to read up on and, and get educated on, and in, in doing so, um, I, I recognize that, that there are some gray areas out there as we continue to evolve, um, and I, I've had to adjust some of my thinking um, because, you know, one of my goals with my clients is not to be um, a no person. It, it's to try to, to come to practical solutions that are 
obviously um, within legal and, and risk tolerances. Well, thank you for the the background, and and you're right. This is a real complex set of issues. Uh, so your your clients are lucky to have you. Uh, what I'd like to start by talking about uh, are, are the you know the drug free workplace policies uh, that so many employers have in place, and how home building supervisors and contractors. Uh, can set these up in a way that protects their workers, their customers, the, the general public, and at the same time remains empathetic and compassionate in terms of a, a drug-free workplace approach to people who might be dealing with opioid addiction. And I'm sure you've helped countless companies set up their drug-free workplace uh, policies and procedures. What are some of the main points uh, as they're setting up their programs that they need to be aware of uh, you know from the standpoint of, of remaining legal and compliant uh, what advice do you have for uh, for a home builder who's getting started with a drug-free workplace policy well sure Patrick and that's a good question and I you know I think that we have to set a baseline um, you know baseline expectations for um, for such a client, such a company, you know, it, it's important to recognize that a, a drug-free workplace uh, is uh, critical and important, and it re relates directly to uh, both safety and legal compliance. You know, all employers should have a policy that prohibits drug use uh, or being under the influence while at work. And, and <clears throat> you know, there's not a lot of flexibility in those two baseline propositions. Um, whatever policy you put in place has got to have a component that says you can't use drugs at work and you can't show up under the influence because um, it's it's uh, in, in no uh, environment or cli climate is is either one of those things things acceptable. In in crafting a, a drug-free workplace policy, you really should consult with a lawyer or a reputable HR consultant, and and there are many. Uh, organizations, companies, and, and law firms who can help you out with that. Um, and and you know, I, I think we're going to talk a little bit about well, sort of the, the range of possibilities for, for those policies, but I, I do want to stress that nothing that we talk about here today is going to eliminate the, the obligation to, uh, to make sure that the drugs stay out of the workplace. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and yet, Maybe you can help me with this. How are companies making adjustments to those drug-free workplace policies to account for opioid prescriptions? Uh, so, for example, how are they addressing, you know, a positive opioid test if someone has a valid prescription for a painkiller? Sure. Yeah, and that, and that's one of the areas that I think that we can can explore a little bit. So, there's a difference between. Uh, a drug-free workplace and a one-strike-and-you're-out type of policy, right? So we, we've all seen those, um, what I would call draconian policies that say, well, you know, if we catch you uh, with a bad drug test, it's one strike and you're out, and, and we're not going to employ you anymore, and, and you'll be barred from seeking further employment, et cetera. And, and I, the law doesn't require that absent some uh, government contract or uh, licensure or security clearance of some sort that would mandate that. Um, so I think that 
that where you have some flexibility is to have uh, some tolerance levels in your policy to say, you know, you're subject to discipline if you test um, in, in an improper way. Um, but in, the, in this current climate, um, such a policy might include relaxing um, the strict disciplinary regs that would result in automatic termination and employing what I would call more of an individual assessment. You know, if, if someone tests positive, you bring them in, you sit them down, you talk to them, and they say, look, you know, I, I apologize. I, um, I have a prescription for opioids. I'm, I'm trying to wean myself off, but you know, I took one at, uh, at 7.30 last night. I thought it would be out of my system, and it wasn't. Um, and it's not going to happen again because, you know, I'm going to take my last pill at 4, and, and I'm going to go to my doctor and make sure that, um, that by the time I get to work, it's completely out of my system, so there's no chance that I'm under the influence, et cetera. And I'm not a doctor, so I don't know exactly how that would work from a timing perspective. But that gives you sort of an example of how one might um, have some flexibility to deal with an issue with an honest and, um, and otherwise uh, good employee that, that you don't want to lose because you're, you're stuck with a policy that says, um, that that it's one strike and you're out. Right. No, I, I totally appreciate that um, that discussion, and and I can see you know how does your clients benefit from having conversations with you about that before they set things up, um, and this idea that you can individualize the response uh, and take into consideration, uh, you know, that someone uh, does have a valid prescription. Uh, you know, that keeps the employer out of trouble, uh, but at the same time recognizes that the workplace needs to be safe. Um, Jeff, how do, how do protections like the Americans with Disabilities Act or the ADA come into play here, uh, both when someone might have a medical condition that requires them uh, to be taking an opioid painkiller, and for people who have a diagnosed substance use disorder, they've been treated. Um, can you talk about the ADA protections with us? Sure. So in general, and, and this is a, a, a very interesting area of the law, and I've been monitoring it and watching the, the case law as it has evolved across the country. You know, employers are required, uh, covered employers, but we'll assume everyone's a covered employer, uh, employers are required to accommodate disabilities in general. Um, the law uh, has determined that drug addiction is a disability. Um, there, there are a couple of important things to, uh, to point out regarding drug addiction uh, as a disability, and that is that the law does not protect current drug use, um, nor does the law protect being under the influence uh, of, of any kind of, of drug or um, substance that will impair your ability to function properly at work. So th those two distinctions are important. But, you know, let's deal with the, the individual who, who has uh, a reported or admitted uh, drug addiction and is in treatment and is um, uh, under, the, uh, under the care of, of a physician perhaps for, for treatment. Uh, that person is protected by the ADA, and an employer is required to accommodate things like uh, taking off early for treatment or um, maybe getting a little bit of time off 
um, as necessary, you know, and, and as medically prescribed. Um, the, the other issue comes up uh, under the ADA with um, legally prescribed opioids for uh, a covered disability. So let's say someone has uh, thrown their back out, right? So the, the ADA would consider them to be disabled. So part of the accommodation for that individual with a bad back might be that um, they need some leeway with regard to uh, the pain that they experience uh, with regard to that back and related to that pain might be a legally prescribed opioid. So perhaps um, they need to come in later uh, and or leave earlier or take a break during the day or something like that related to um, the impact of the medication on, uh, on their, their, you know, mental state or their physical state. Now, again, let's go back to um, the distinction between um, keeping a drug-free workplace and, and a uh, under-the-influence workplace uh, with the, the use of, of opioids. I'm not saying that the ADA would protect one um, uh, if one were to, for example, you know, take an opioid at lunch and then be under the influence for the afternoon. But I do think that there's room uh, for protection under the ADA for someone who has a covered disability and, um, and has to work taking uh, opioid pain medication into their schedule. And I think that that's where you would see the need to have some flexibility to deal with that and not just say, oh, well, you know, if you're on drugs, you can't work here. Right. Yeah, no, this is uh, really the intersection of, of good medicine uh, and good business practices and the law, you know, and um, uh, certainly complex. And yeah, you know, I want to go back to something you talked about earlier, and that is that you know there were many companies, uh, you know, across all sectors, who for a long time had a, a zero tolerance approach when it came to uh, positive drug tests, and uh, you know that that would result in immediate termination. And and of course, I think for the last 20 years, that's it's been changing. There are, uh, you know, employee assistance programs that have been woven into the drug-free workplace, and people are being given a, a chance to get their uh, uh, treatment for whatever their, uh, you know, addiction, whether it's to alcohol or, or drugs, uh, particularly opioids, and, um, you know, it's not a punitive approach. It's a an approach that recognizes this is a disease. You need treatment. We're going to give you that opportunity. Um, you know, and now with opioid addiction having become so widespread, especially in the construction industry and by extension the the home building industry, it might be impractical for an employer. Uh, from a business standpoint, to simply fire everybody who uh, has a, a struggle with with addiction. So, what advice do you have for the listener who might be setting up their policies in response to positive drug tests? Are you? Uh, and I think you've mentioned this, but I, I want to uh, give you a chance to talk a little bit more about it. The idea that you know making referrals post positive drug test into treatment, monitoring people. Uh, that second chance approach uh, while remaining compliant and safe and so forth, is that the recommended approach uh, over uh, the zero tolerance approach? Well, Patrick, I think that um, 
you need to remember, I think we all need to remember that recruiting is hard and expensive. Um, if, if you recruit John Doe to work for your company, and he's a good worker, but you want to keep him. And uh, running through employees who, who have uh, uh, issues, issues of any sort, um, is, uh, and running through them without extending um, some flexibility and extending um, a second chance and extending some counseling and some assistance and giving them some space to work out some issues uh, is, I, I think, uh, impractical and, uh, and not necessary. I, I will say that, that with regard to positive drug tests, first you have to determine whether or not relaxing um, your drug testing policy to provide second chances and, um, and some, provide some accommodations. You, you have to determine whether or not uh, that is a problem for your company because of, for example, government contracts or the retention of security clearances, uh, or if you're in an environment where most of your folks are CDL licensed um, or have DOT obligations. And so you need to make sure that you're complying with all, all of those mandates. And as we know, federal law is, is certainly less accommodating than, than many state laws now with regard to all sorts of drug use. So I do have to caveat my comments by saying that you need to make sure that you're paying attention to those types of variables. But absent a mandate of some sort, you're certainly free to relax sort of the strict liability, again, one strike and you're out policies. And I view it as a continued investment in your assets, which are your employees. And um, and, and I tell, I tell uh, employers all the time, you know, if you come to me and, and your interest is in retaining an employee and your interest is in rehabilitating an employee, then, then I'm going to do everything I can do uh, to, to help you try to do that um, while we protect, you know, the interests of the organization and, and protect you from a liability perspective. So, you know, I, I think that, that policies can be drafted so that there's, uh, perhaps a, a diversion to a, a, a treatment process or, uh, or some sort of, of um, alternative to, uh, to termination. And, um, you know, I, I'd be all in favor of, uh, of working on that with, with clients that are interested in doing that. Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for, the, for that discussion. I, I'd like to shift a little bit now to, you know, the actual recovery and return to work uh, dimension of this. I know that many of our listeners who you know might be supervising in, in the home building industry and want to support uh, workers who are in recovery, in treatment uh, for their opioid use disorder, aren't sure what they can do and might be wary of the risks. Um, you know, one idea we talk about is light duty work. You know, if you're bringing somebody back into the workplace uh, after treatment, um, offering some less less strenuous work or other limited responsibilities while they're in treatment or returning from treatment and recovery from accident or injury. Uh, how, do, how do you look at that, Jeff, in terms of risk management, um, you know, when you're maintaining uh, the employee of that uh, person that's valuable to you in recovery from their treatment? 
Well, yeah, and I think you've asked two different questions. The first question is an excellent question regarding what I would consider to be uh, an overall health and wellness um, policy and program for your employees. So, so, and I think the suggestion of light duty is an excellent one. You know, I, I look at um, drug addiction and or dependence on uh, opioid uh, prescriptions uh, without being, uh, you know, considered an addict. I, I look at that as, as akin to a mental health disability or, uh, or a physical limitation that, that is uh, perhaps uh, temporary in nature. Let's all hope temporary in nature, right? So, you know, why wouldn't we uh, have a program that recognizes that there are some functional limitations associated with uh, the ongoing recovery and treatment and accommodate those like we would a back injury or um, someone who has sleep apnea and shows up and falls asleep at 10 o'clock every day uh, or someone who is going through uh, a very serious uh, domestic issue and brings that to your attention and, and asks for some accommodations and some time off to, uh, to help go to, you know, counseling with their spouse or their child. Um, so, I, you know, again, the, the stigma that's associated with, with you know, uh, opioid addiction and use and drug use in general uh, needn't be a barrier to treating it for what it is, which is, which is um, an impairment um, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, uh, both a physical and a mental, you know, disability. And, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shy about working that into uh, the general health and wellness program at, at, at any company and, um, and again, working from a, uh, a proactive treatment recovery perspective that uh, provides a, a a workplace that recognizes the realities. Um, and, and then, Patrick, you, you, asked, you asked about the risk management perspective of that, which is a little bit of a different question, but I think it's an extremely important question. You know, I, I, I don't, um, in, in saying all of this today, I, I don't mean to ignore the fact that um, th there's, there's a chance that, that um, not having a strict liability policy uh, would, would increase risk, and, and I think that um, <clears throat> companies are foolish to ignore uh, that, that reality, and I, I do think that uh, all of the companies out there ought to have some form of insurance, and that you, if you make uh, dramatic changes to your policies, uh, that you probably ought to run it by uh, your carrier and, and make sure that they understand that you're making an effort to either recruit and or retain folks who may have um, issues in, in this area and, and make sure that the, the coverages that you're, um, that you're uh, accessing and, and the policies that you have don't have mandates in them that require you to take certain actions um, for, uh, fail, for example, failed drug tests. So I, I just raised that as, an, as a practical issue. You know, the, the attorney in me has got to be um, risk adverse, and, and I think that it's important to make sure that, you know, if, uh, if there is an accident at work that, uh, that a, an, an insurance coverage agent doesn't come back in and unpeel the onion and figure out that, well, you know, this person is, has a, a failed drug test from six months ago and they never should have been back on the job from our position and then we're not going to cover your 
your accident. So that's a reality that, that I would advise that, that companies uh, rope into their analysis. Yeah, excellent advice. Thank you. Um, and, and this may be related to that, you know, that, um, you know, effective treatment for addiction can include, you know, residential treatment, outpatient counseling, uh, individual family group counseling. And in some cases, particularly with opioids, the use of medication-assisted treatment or MAT, medication-assisted treatment. And, you know, a lot of the science and the evidence is pointing at MAT as a real gold standard for, uh, you know, uh, getting off of opioids and, and staying off of opioids. They've, they're proving to be very effective. Are there some additional legal implications in your mind, Jeff, to consider in terms of drug testing if somebody's uh, being treated with a medication uh, like Suboxone or Vivitrol for their opiate addiction? Yeah, Patrick, that's a good question. And, and frankly, because uh, I, don't, I don't have um, the, the medical background to know uh, what the drug test would come up with as as positive in in those situations I, I'm, I'm a little hampered in answering the question but I think from a general perspective that um, if if you're being you you the employer being prescribed an MAT uh, drug that's you know some form of alternative to uh, you know a, a much stronger and or um, uh, prone to addiction type of opioid, and this is a way to, uh, I suppose, wean you off of, of that addiction in a uh, medically positive way, I would assume that uh, the, the existence of a prescription for that and, and sort of the upfront uh, indication that, hey, look, I, I may test positive for X, but I'm taking it because it's prescribed by a physician would put you in a positive light from, from an employer perspective. I, I just don't know, for example, if, um, if uh, someone who was taking a, a mandatory DOT drug test and tested positive for this MAT, would they be, um, would they be you know, uh, eliminated or would their CDL be pulled because, uh, because the, it's on the it's on the list of uh, banned substances. I, I just don't know that piece of it, but I, I certainly would think that, you know, an employer would want to encourage one who is out getting positive treatment under the, under the care of a physician and getting prescribed something that, you know, is not a placebo. It's, it does have some impact, I would assume, but, um, but, but it's better than, than, than the alternative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, you know, maybe now we can finish up by talking about creating a workplace that welcomes people in recovery from opioid addiction. You know, research shows that steady employment is protective in terms of preventing a relapse. And I think public perception has shifted in recent years to an understanding that most people with opioid use disorder or other addictions can and should be productive members of the workforce uh, and their communities. 
when we talk about creating a workplace that welcomes people in recovery, we talk about things like reducing stigma around addiction, using respectful and judgment-free language and encouraging, um, you know, overall wellness and self-care among our workers. And these things benefit everybody uh, and they benefit the employer. What are some other benefits that employers uh, need to consider if they're going to support hiring recruiting, uh, and certainly, you know, keeping people in recovery in their employ? Well, I, I'll go back to um, what I said a, a little bit ago, and, and that is that, that recruiting and onboarding employees is hard and, and it's expensive. You know, I, there is, um, there's not a, a contractor out there that will tell you that, that they are um, constantly fully staffed and, and that they have an easy time finding folks to do the work that needs to be done. Uh, it's just not uh, a business or an economic reality for most of the folks in, in this target organization. And if, if you're going to spend all of the time and, and energy involved in recruiting employees, why not try to keep the employees that do a good job for you but may have um, some issues that you can help them work through. I, I, I think that you're, you're spot on when you say that a lot of this battle is about reducing uh, the stigma associated with addiction and, and drug use in general. And I think that um, we've got a ways to go, but I think that including drug addiction and, and drug use and, and opioid prescription um, in, in your general health and wellness program at work is, is a huge step. You know, let's, let's have frank discussions about it. Let's not uh, treat it like um, a, uh, uh, something that's not there. And, and I think that's the first step. I mean, you know, 40, 50 years ago, uh, mental health was stigmatized and, you know, the, the folks who had mental health issues were cast to the side. They had their own schools, they had their own classes, um, and um, they weren't integrated properly in, in society. And, and we've come a long way um, with, with, you know, the, the entire mental health community in, um, in, you know, integrating them into, you know, normal society where they belong. And, and I think the same goes for folks who are struggling um, with, with uh, drug addiction and opioid use. I think that the, the, the more normal we make it, and the more that we um, support them in recovery and, and treatment, you know, the better off um, we'll be as, as employers. Well, it's, uh, it's nice to hear you describe it that way, Jeff. I, I really want to thank you uh, for that, that description. Um, you know, that's all the time we have for today in this particular podcast. And, I want to remind our listeners that the NAHB website has an entire section devoted to the opioid epidemic in the home building industry with a wealth of resources and tools to help you manage this issue among your workforce. Please check out our supervisors, return to work and recovery toolkit for more information on the topics we've talked about today. Jeff, 
uh, I can't thank you enough uh, for joining us today and sharing uh, what you shared. It has really been a great conversation, and I thank you. Uh, Patrick, thank you. I'm, I'm happy to assist with this important topic, and you know, I, I thank you and, and NAHB for all of its work and hard work um, in uh, in this area because uh, I, I firmly believe that um, that it's it's going to continue to be an issue, and uh, hopefully, we'll we'll turn the corner sooner rather than later. Here, here. Please listen to the other podcasts in the Making It Your Business series to learn about prevention, intervention, and recovery. This podcast is one of four co-produced by the National Association of Home Builders and Advocates for Human Potential, bringing together conversations and personal testimonies of the opioid epidemic from the perspective of employers, employees, and providers. Don't forget to listen to the other podcasts in the Making It Your Business series to learn about prevention, intervention, recovery, and return to work after opioid addiction for workers in the home building industry. Visit nahb.org forward slash opioids to view our other educational modules including fact sheets, resource guides, and toolkits, all available for public download. Thank you.